Well, we are starting a series, a new series called Grateful for Grace. And I really am grateful for grace. And I want to echo what Danny said. I mean, this, this place years and years ago have taught me about assurance and about grace, which I really didn't understand and really didn't know you could have any assurance. I thought you just kind of became a Christian and you hoped and hoped and hoped that maybe you might make it, you know, but you weren't ever really sure type mentality. And I think that's plagued uh, churches and Christians for years and years. And so it's hard to share the good news if you don't feel like you got good news, right? And so, I mean, who wants to say, hey, look, I don't know if you'll make it, but come on, give it a chance. Uh, we might. No, no, that's not good news. We have the good news of the gospel of grace. And that God's grace, Paul says, is sufficient. It's more than enough to take care of our problems. Our problem is usually just trusting that that grace, right? And understanding it. Because Satan would love to cause doubt in your mind and in your heart. And uh, I also love the fact that as we talked about grace, uh, I was thinking about things that that when you come into a church and you you learn different things, different things uh, uh, that are, are, might feel awkward. One of the things I think if you come into a church you're not used to is what what is this thing called communion? And and if you're new here, you may hear someone say communion. You may hear someone say the Lord's Supper. It's talking about the same thing. If you're in another religious group, you may we don't typically use this term, but you may hear someone say the Eucharist, which simply is a word that means thank, Thanksgiving. You know, that's what that's what's happening at this table. And so uh, I, I want to talk about that today. Now, one of the things I love about uh, our church and I love about the restoration movement churches, Christian Church, Church of Christ, those that come out of that particular history. I love the priority that's been set on communion. I think it's a very valuable thing. Now, not in as much in the structure of communion, but in the substance of it. I think there's a lot more uh, depth to it than we realize. It, it comes by, you know, and, and all of a sudden uh, uh, it's just a cracker and juice and real easy to go right by and not understand or not think about what we're, uh, what we're doing. There are two acts that we physically do in the church that tie us directly to our message of the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the gospel, right? First Corinthians 15. That's the story. That's what changes people's lives. And the two things we do that tie us to that is, one, what we do to be, uh, in, in becoming a Christian, when becoming a disciple, being, being baptized into Christ, reenacts the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then every Sunday... Or as often as you do it, New Testament, you know, from day to day, house to house. But even, but, but uh, we practice this every Sunday. Taking communion, breaking bread, represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's more than just symbol. It's at the heart of who we are. And we're going, and it reminds us of the message we go out of here and preach. It also gives us nourishment. For our weaknesses. And so we bring to it a lot of humanity. But we meet deity and our lives are renewed and changed. Because you see it's a covenant meal. Reminds us of the covenant God made with us. It reminds us of the covenant we have with each other as a church family. And it reminds us of the message we're going to proclaim till he comes again. And you remember what he says when he comes again. One of the first things we're going to do is what? Take communion. 
We're going to take up the cup, take up the meal. It's one of the first things. He said, I'm not going to do this again with you until that day. Oh, that would be a great day, wouldn't it? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I know the uh, Corinthians had several problems, which I think is a great book because we have several problems, right? We fit right in. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul's reminding him some things about the supper because they had kind of gotten out of kilter. They lost its meaning. They were doing some things inappropriate, and so he's going to remind them of this. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23, we're going to talk about how the table looks backward. Let's just read the, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 20, uh, 23 to 25. Here he says, For I received from the Lord... What I pass on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So let's talk about this table that Paul points back to Jesus doing. And you, you might remember this happened in Luke chapter 22 uh, when Jesus is doing this. And uh, what he's pointing back to, it's the time of the Passover. And the disciples have uh, prepared to take the supper together. And so as they gather up, they're, that they're, they're participating in something that's very Jewish and historical. As this is their tradition as well as scripture that they're participating in. And so when they get together to do this, they, Jesus takes the Passover and makes a transition into something that's going to be for the church. But let's talk about the Passover for a minute. Because at the Passover, by the way, uh, in, the, in Luke's account, you're going to see there's a cup, there's bread, and there's another cup. There's two cups. Well, we didn't quite know what to do with that because we always do one, right? But actually, at the Passover, there was more than that. There are four cups. And they would gather up, and for each cup, each time they took it, each cup represented something. Out of Exodus chapter 6, 6 and 7, there's uh, the verses there. He takes the verb of each one and attaches it to a cup. Uh, let's go to that next slide, guys. There you go. Now, each one is the first cups of the Passover says, I will bring you out. The second says, I will set you free. The third cup they took said, I will redeem you. And the fourth cup said, I will take you as my own. This is out of Exodus chapter 6. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Boy, it's got to be good news. Remember the setting? Look, remember. Moses goes there. God's people are enslaved. And they've went through nine plagues, and now they got the big one. He says, all right, the firstborn son of every family and the animal is going to die tonight. And to prevent that, you take and you kill the lamb, and you put the blood on the doorpost, and I'll what? Passover. 
So that's what they did. And as a result of that deliverance, the Passover feast is set. And so in this meal, they would reenact the Jewish families would the Passover, remembering what God did. So there wasn't just cups and unleavened bread. There was a whole plate full of things. The green on it was for life, and you would dip it in the bitter herbs to remind about that bitterness of being in bondage. And then there was another particular kind of, 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 of fruit. I don't know, it's not fruit salad. I don't know the Hebrew word for it, but I could cough and get close. You know, but so maybe we got that. Uh, so, and it it was to look. It looked like the mortar that they used in the bricks. There was an egg on the plate. Now, sometimes they go back and forth in their tradition about what the egg represents, but most say it represents life or new life. And so there, there would be all these things there, and there was the unleavened bread. And the unleavened bread, they would take a cup at the beginning. And it was a cup of blessing and read this verse and start telling the story. And then they would have the second cup of deliverance. And they're reenacting this. And they would break the unleavened bread and take half of it and go hide it. Wrap it and hide it. And the children would go find it. And then they would bring it out. And then they would talk about the story of how God found them and brought them out. And the, and the unleavened part was uh, uh, had kind of a little... A bit of two purposes. One, one, you wasn't going to have any time to wait for it to rise, right? You're getting ready to get out of there. But the other is of sin. It just takes a little bit of sin that leavens and runs the whole thing. And so it's that idea of the unleavened bread. And so you, then they would eat the meal. They would break the bread. Then they would take the third cup, which is, by the way, the cup that Jesus uses for communion. And it's the cup of redemption. I will redeem you. It's the one that says blood was shed so that you could be bought back and brought out. And then they would have the fourth cup, the cup of the coming Elijah. Or some describe the cup of hope. Something good's going to happen down the road. Because God says, look, I'm going to call you my people. I'm going, you're going to be mine. I'm going to be your God in a very special way. So he really had all these cups. So when Jesus comes on the scene with the Passover and the disciples, they all understand this reenactment of Egypt and the deliverance of God's people and, and how in-depth that was and the history that went behind that. And families were reenacting and telling that story over and over again. So they would never forget what God had done for them. And so in the middle of this Seder meal or this Jewish meal, Jesus takes and does this with the disciples. And so when he breaks the bread and says, do this in remembrance of me, that's a, an amazing statement. And when he takes the cup and says, do this in remembrance of my blood, the new covenant. What Jesus has just told these Jewish guys around him and everybody else that was fixing to find out about this. I am the fulfillment of all your history. All your history. Every deliverance from bondage. Every salvation thing that... 
took place. Every, every buying back by blood, I am. Because they also had on that plate and on the table centerpiece was the lamb that they were eating. And he says, well, I am the lamb of God. Remember what John said when he first saw him? Behold the what? The lamb of God. So you see, especially those, all those within the Jewish background all understood the Passover feast. And so when Jesus says this, man, that's kind of alarming to them. You're what? I'm all of your history. I'm everything that was ever pointed to. I'm it. The bread of life. The blood of the new covenant. But it not only looks backward, but the table looks forward. Because he says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, whenever you do it, you proclaim the Lord's death when? Till he comes again. There's a future. Not only do we look back, and not only did they look back and attach all the history of God planning this whole scheme of redemption for man. Now they're looking forward. And it says, look, I'm going, as long as, as long as we're here as a church, we're going to take communion and we're going to proclaim the gospel as we do it. And it's going to nourish us to go out and keep proclaiming the gospel till the day he comes again. We will never stop taking communion. We're going to do it when he comes back. But, but till then, we do it proclaiming the story of how he redeemed us. He delivered us. He brought us out of bondage. His body was broken for us. And so like the Passover, we have a great history that has now become our great future. Full of hope because of the story of the death, burial, and resurrection. You see, when we take communion, we preach the gospel, we reenact the gospel, and we hope in the gospel. We renew our covenant. It's a covenant of renewal, saying this is what we're all about. It's a covenant of presence because it says we're there with God and God's with us. And I'll be with you what? To the ends of time. Yeah, I'm there forever. It's a covenant of fellowship. Because he says, you, I put you in a community of people. And you're connected with one another through the gospel. And it is a covenant of promise. I will come back. Now, he, Jesus predicted his death. He predicted his burial. He predicted his resurrection. And then he predicts he's going to come again. He's already three for three. I'm saying four for four is a pretty solid chance, don't you? All this is wrapped up in the gospel, which is happened because we needed grace. Because we couldn't get right by ourselves. This table also looks inward. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. Through 32. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. 
Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if you were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. Look what, here's what he's saying. That the table of grace also looks inward. Now, when he mentions this unworthy manner of which we take it, don't take it in an unworthy way, he's not talking about the structure of it. He's not talking about if you take the cup first or the bread first or the cup second or the bread second. Or if you do one cup, bread, cup, the Luke deal. He's not talking about that. When you look at the context of 1 Corinthians 11, he's talking about the heart of the people. It's their spirit and heart that not only are they have things that aren't right inside them, and they forget what the gospel is all about, but they also have things that aren't right with other people. I was told of a lady at a little country church that she wouldn't take communion over and over again. So finally, one of the other ladies asked her about it. Why don't you take communion? She said, I can't do it in an unworthy manner. So what do you mean in an unworthy manner? Well, because since y'all serve it in the little, you know, sometimes the squares are already out there. You know, in some places it's already broken. She said, because I can't break the bread. And that's an unworthy manner. Now I thought, you missed the whole point. It's not if you break it or not. That's not the point. Breaking bread is just the way that we say we share something together. Not everybody ever, not every hand touched the bread and broke it. You understand that, right? That's not what happened in communion. Not everybody took something and broke it. We've had some go up on, on, on those kinds of things to even, well, we're just going to do, the Bible says he took the cup, so we're going to do one cup, which actually is really wrong when you look at the history of it because there were four cups being done on Passover anyway when Jesus instituted the thing. But we're going to take one cup. I'm okay with one cup as long as I'm the first one. Because, you know, when we pass this thing around, I mean... Tommy, you can be at the end, but I'm going first. It's not about whether it's one cup or not. It's not about whether you physically break the bread or not. It's about the heart of who you are with God and the gospel. This is what it's about. It's about how did I talk about my brother last week or not? How was I ugly about God's church or not? It's about, am I rebellious toward God? I'm hiding some sin inside or not. Remember, look, if you are struggling and you're fighting sin and you're serving God, that's not reason not to take the, to take the supper, take communion. That's when you need to take it. It's a table of grace. You find nourishment. You find community. You find strength to walk that path that you're struggling with. It's not about my mistakes. It is about my rebellion 
and making sure my heart's not rebellious against God or His people. It's kind of scary because here he even says that that some of them drank judgment. That's why some of you were weak and sick and a number of them fell asleep or died. Now, I don't know about you, and I'm kind of like one guy. I don't know all that means. It's above my pay grade. I'm not sure. But I know this, when I read that, I'm going to be looking at my heart and attitude and my relationship with my brothers and sisters. And by the way, if it's powerful enough to make you sick when you do it in an unworthy way, it's powerful enough to make you whole when you do it the right way. It's a table of grace. If it's powerful enough to make you physically die doing it the wrong way, it's powerful enough to give you new life when you do it the right way. Table of grace. Well, and that's really, that's really what was happening. It's a table that looks outward. It looks inward. I do my heart. I look outward to the brother's. Because he says then in 33 and 34 of chapter 11, So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it doesn't result in judgment. When I come, I'll give you further directions. You see, when we eat, it's also a sign of unity in fellowship. Unity is not everybody marching at the same way. That's uniformity. Unity, we don't have unity because of my works. We have unity because of God's grace. God brought all of us into community by the story of the gospel, right? The death, burial, and resurrection brought all of us together. And I know you might be saying, I don't want to be kin to you, but I'm sorry, you know. You don't get to choose who you're kin to in the the body. We're kin. We're community. We have a fellowship. And when we take communion, we're honoring not only the body of Christ that was beaten and crushed and died for us, we are honoring the body of Christ right here, His body on earth now, the church. You see, whatever... Jesus was busy doing in his body when he was on earth is what the church ought to be busy doing as his body while we're on earth. You got it? So it's not about the organization of it. It's about the organism of it. The fruit, the the life that exists within the body of Christ. And you and I are part of that. And there, that puts us in unity. Now, Ephesians says we have to make some efforts to keep that unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. We don't create it. But I tell you what, by George, with an attitude that's wrong, we can sure destroy it. And I never, ever want to destroy the body of Christ. 
I want to help it grow. Because it, it helps me grow. When I think about all the things this church has done for me and my family, it taught me, like Danny said, taught me grace. When I was in school preaching, didn't have anything, it fed me a few times. Taught me Bible, gave me my wife. I met her here. When I came to school preaching here years ago, she was the, one of the church secretaries, so I'm the preacher that ran off with the church secretary. You know, I'm it. I'm the guy. You, you, had, you had encircled her family, and you had loved Charles and Barbara and their kids and brought them into this body, and that grew her up, and then it blessed me with a family. And you've helped me raise my kids to honor God and know what the gospel is. Are you kidding? Hurt this body? Never would I ever have a reason to hurt this body. I want to grow the body. I want to help understand when we take communion, there's something powerful about that. Someone said, well, you know, Mike, I don't know if we ought to say one prayer. Should we say two? I don't, look, I... We could say 15 around it. It probably wouldn't be enough. I want to honor this body. And I honor this body not by just the act of communion, but it's the depthness and the substance of what that communion means because that communion stays with me. It's not an act I do on Sunday. It's what takes me out this door and when I see a brother in need, I help him. It's what makes me speak kind to a brother that I have trouble with. The communion reminds me that I've got to hug necks and I've got to, I've got to, to kiss people on the cheek. I've got to love the unlovable. Communion reminds me that we're all brought in from different histories, different backgrounds and different burdens. And some it takes a while to learn. And some people are going to grow slower and some are going to grow faster. And it doesn't matter where they are in their growth. Everybody is equally important in the body of Christ. Everyone is equal. Everyone is equal. Someone said, you know, my so-and-so, you know, they left, we're better off. No, we're never better off without the body. Never. Never better off without it. We're better off with the body remembering communion and the depth of it and it being the motivation for which we love, trust, help our brothers and our sisters no matter who they are or where they come from. Because the table is a table of grace. a table of grace. And we do it every Sunday. As long as I live, I'll do it every Sunday. And I'll probably do it more than that. You know, when you have problems in your family, y'all bring them in around your table. Set up a communion time and say, okay, guys, let's get reminded about the gospel. We've gotten off kilter here. Make use of the table of grace. It's there to nourish us and bring us healing 
and help in the tough times of life. I love that God invites me to his table. It is the Lord's table, by the way, not mine. And I love that we break this this unleavened bread right here. I love that we take the cup, the third cup of the Passover, but the cup that Jesus says is the cup of redemption for me and for you. And we take it. We remember we're redeemed. Bought by the blood of the Lamb. And I thank God for His communion. One more reminder. When we take this, are you listening? When we take this, we not only take it together as this church family, we take it and we're in fellowship and community with brothers and sisters throughout history as well as those that are presently living today. You remember those people being prayed for? Those brothers and sisters that are in dire straits? We take communion. We're saying we're, we're connected to them. I'm connected to the recent preacher that was in Sudan that had been in prison 14 months, just released this last year. I'm connected to him through the gospel. I'm connected to some of our brothers that have been bombed out in Syria and Iraq. I'm connected, and they take communion, and they're connected to me. I'm connected with a host of brothers and sisters that don't have near the luxury that you and I have, and I praise God for our blessings. But, boy, you know, I also don't want to forget the persecuted church. The first century were persecuted. Matter of fact, when Paul writes this, this is years after Jesus establishes this, right? And still says that we're a body of Christ connected back to the Lamb of God. We're connected with all those folks. So I want to remind us, we're going to see a video right now to remind us to be prayerful for those we're connected to by the gospel of Christ who are in persecuted situations. Guys. For the last year, I've been uh, been hearing about the persecution of the pastors and the missionaries and just the Christians in general in, uh, in India, in the Orissa area. And my heart's been stirred toward it. But just recently, I saw a video of some of the persecution. And I just wasn't ready for it. understood what was going on over there and then I saw the video and I wanted to throw up when I was done watching it. it it caused me to question everything in my life I mean literally everything everything about me everything about church I mean when I saw these men of God literally being beaten I, I've never seen someone being beaten to death I've never seen people getting mobbed and literally, I don't, I'm not sure that I've even seen death in, in, in a violent manner. And, and when it's the real thing, it, it, just, uh, it just makes you sick. You, 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 you knew what was going on, but to see it, it, it just, uh, it, it, I, I can't explain it.
sick to think of people that may lift me up because I have a gift of communication or, or some other Christian who has an ability to sing or play an instrument and how we lift these people up as our heroes or great writers or when these are the ones that uh, in their lives look like Christ and see when we make a, a popular author or speaker our hero then it's easy to go oh yeah I want to become like him but then when we look at these martyrs and these people who really have died for the gospel if we lift them up to be heroes we have to constantly ask ourselves do I want to be that when I talk to the people in India that are going through it they're not asking for money they're just asking that we remember them that we would pray for them because they're saying many people are converting out of Christianity out of fear because people are saying look if you get out of Christianity we won't do this to you and so people are scared and and so they're saying would you just pray for us for courage and I don't know what emotions go through your mind when you see some of these images but what they're asking for is would you channel that toward prayer for us I mean you've listened to me speak for three or four minutes could you spend the next three or four minutes praying for our brothers and sisters in India seriously praying for them Do spend a little prayer time. Father, we know that uh, that your grace is sufficient. Your grace is enough. And we've been blessed to sit here in a building and not being harassed and not threatened today to give you glory and honor. And we're honored to do that. We take communion. We gather around your table. But Father, I know brothers and sisters around the world don't, don't have that luxury. And so for those that are in persecuted situations, we pray, Father, for them, for the strength they need, for the help they need, for the rescue they need, for the boldness they need in face of terrible situations. I pray, Father, for the preachers, their families, for the kids. I pray, Father, for the missionaries, for those that are jailed, those that are held hostage, those that are living day to day, worried about their own life. It sure makes some of the things we talk about and worry about to seem not very important anymore. But we, we don't want to leave today without praying for them. And may the persecuted church around the world know today that they are part of something greater than this present time, that they are part of the kingdom of God that will last forever. And may they be our heroes, Father, as they lift up Christ in dire circumstances. Bless us, Father, to be conscious of our brothers and sisters and help us to never fail in bringing them to the throne 
and know that you hear us. We're asking your blessings upon them today. In Jesus' name, amen. One last verse to share with you. Hebrew writer says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and no bitter root grows up among you. My goal as an elder and as a minister, I don't want anyone in our church or outside to miss the grace of God. Don't miss it. And let the table remind you that it's a table of grace. I love you. And that's all we, I know we challenge each other. We grow and you challenge me. But I'm telling you, I love you dearly. And the table just reminds me of that every week. And I don't want anyone to walk away doubting whether they're the right with God. I want us to see to it. Nobody sitting in here. Don't miss out on the grace of God. And you find that by putting your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You say, I don't want to live my old life anymore. You repent. You be baptized into Christ. You start all over brand new. Enjoying God's grace and growing in it. And celebrating it every week with a church family that loves you. So if you have a need to respond to the gospel, you can do so right now. While we stand and while Jeremy leads us in a song.